Hi, and welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Dan Cochran. Great to see you all here today. It's so good to be able to stand here and share some things with you this morning. I think God, God has, yeah, there you go. Uh, I think God has some truth today that's, that's going to be really helpful to many of us. We're in this series uh, called Emotional by Design. And a few weeks ago, Luke gave a message where he showed us that we're created in God's image and God himself has emotions, therefore we have emotions. And that emotions are not a bad thing. They're not something that we need to avoid or fear, but they're a gift, really a gift from God. And then last week, Wilson talked about how essential emotions are to us actually fulfilling our mission in life, fulfilling our call in life. And uh, great message. Both of those messages were great messages. I, I want to take that thought just a step further, and I want to say this that without emotions, we couldn't relate to other people. Emotions are what enable us to have relationships. You know, there are some people in our society that don't have emotions or the ability to empathize. They are called sociopaths. (laughs) That's, That's the truth. And they're probably some of the most dangerous people you ever encounter because they can't empathize. But uh, think about this. There are all sorts of pets, all sorts of pets that people have, cats. They, some people have iguanas, some people have snakes. Some people even, it, this is insane to me, but they have spiders as pets. But there's only one pet that is ca- called man's best friend. What's that? A dog. <laughs> no, it's a dog. And the reason for that is dogs are so far out there with their emotions. You can look into a dog's eyes and you can see sadness. You can see joy. You can see uh, shame. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a dog that had done something he shouldn't have done? And, and they, you can see shame in their eyes. Their emotions are out there so obvious that we can relate to them and connect with them. And I know cat lovers would say the same thing about cats. But um, to get to know a cat's a lot harder. And it, 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 I mean... No, people that love cats and that have cats, they do know their cats, and they can see the emotional moods of their cats, but it's just not out there quite as obvious as it is with a dog. And, and so this whole idea of being emotional, it's really, it's really part of being human. It's part of having friends and family and relationship, and without that, we cannot fulfill our mission. It's part of understanding and knowing God. Being emotional is part of knowing God. Now, I grew up kind of in a setting where emotions were not ever spoken against, but I learned very early on in life that um, I should control my emotions. When I was a little boy, I I could be a pretty ordinary kid, and this was back in the days, we're talking like 50 plus years ago, uh, when kids got spanked if if they did something bad. And so my mother, she says to this day that she would spank me and I would never cry. She said, my lower lip would quiver, but I would not cry. Now you might say, that's kind of sick, isn't it? Okay, admit that, yeah. But it it wasn't that I didn't want to cry, I remember. 
It was just, I'm not going to cry. And so somehow by the age of six, I had become a freaking stoic. How did I learn that? I don't know. No one, no, my dad never said, now Van, make sure you don't ever cry. I'd never been taught that. Somehow from my World War II dad vet, I had picked that up and from uh, the other people in my culture that emotions were something simply to be controlled and, and nothing more. But um, I, I want to show you a little, little diagram here. There was a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws that many of us used uh, years ago to share the gospel with people. I think it's still being used today. But uh, can we put up the train? The train? All right. Look at this. They would share the gospel, and then towards the end of the little booklet, it, it gave this illustration, fact, faith, and feeling. And they said, fact is the engine that pulls everything. Faith is the coal car that feeds the engine. And where are feelings? They're the caboose. They're at the end of the line where they should be. That's all they deserve. That's all the recognition they deserve. End of the road. End, end, of, the, you know, end of the train. And now the point they were making was, if you just accepted Christ, there, you might wake up tomorrow morning and not feel like you accepted Christ. Don't, don't, go, don't rely on your feelings. Rely on the truth of Scripture and the fact that you did place faith in Jesus, okay? So their point was good. But I think that this diagram itself and just the fact that it was a diagram that we used, it kind of reveals something, at least from my generation, as to where we thought emotions fit. And, and so it's, it's really kind of almost like an illustration of the fact that we, we, we thought un, emotions are untrustworthy. And they are untrustworthy. But that doesn't mean they're bad. That doesn't mean they're something that we should uh, push away or try to ignore. And the, the simple truth is this. And this is some of the stuff that Luke taught about. But Jesus was a complete human being. Jesus does two things. He reveals God to us fully, and he reveals man to us fully, mankind, human beings. He shows us what God's like, and he shows us what we were created to be like. And so the problem with thinking emotions are kind of like, you know, if you, if you have to have them, just tolerate them, keep them under control, don't let them be out there too much. Jesus violated that. In John chapter 11 and verse uh, 35, it says this. Real simple, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Okay, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Now, what that, the significance of that to me is, Jesus was outside the tomb of a good friend of his named Lazarus, and he's with Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus knows that. Ten minutes at the most from now, Lazarus is going to come out of that tomb. I'm going to raise him from the dead. I would have thought Jesus would have been laughing, saying, Lady, stop crying. Mary, Martha, it's okay. I'm going to raise him from the dead. But Jesus was so tuned in to the ability to empathize with others that as Mary and Martha wept and he saw their grief and he realized the grief they had experienced for the last two, three days, he, he identified with it, and he wept with them. 
outwardly, openly, everyone, everyone could see that he was weeping. It wasn't just like a little bit of tear and maybe a, a tear coming down his cheek. But the Pharisees, his very enemies who are present at this event, they said, look how he loved him. It was obvious that Jesus was weeping. And then again, you see in another place in, in Luke 10, 21, Jesus had sent 70 of his disciples out with power and authority to go out and heal the sick and cast out demons. They came back, and they are pumped. They are excited because they say, even the demons submitted to us. All we had to do was speak a word, and they submitted to us. And so these 70 are really excited, and Jesus gets in on their excitement. And in John 11, or John, Luke 10, 21, it says, At that time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. He, he rejoiced exceedingly, another translation says. And the idea here is he, he was dancing. He was, he was as excited as they were, jumping up and down with joy for what had happened. So Jesus was not afraid to express genuine, authentic joy over something really great that had happened. Now, if I had been there, I might have been tempted to feel the same type of joy, but I would have probably had the tendency to think, well, I don't want to go overboard here. You know, I don't want to make a fool out of myself. But Jesus, there's just a purity of heart there that just releases that emotion. I remember once I was uh, back visiting my, uh, my hometown, my mother, my mother's house, and my daughter, Emily, probably 18 years old at the time or so, and she was talking to two of my nieces, two of her cousins, and they were, they were much younger than her. And Emily was delighting in them. And her face was alive and alight and smiling and just, and, and I sat there and I watched that and I thought, wow, I need to be more free. Well, just look at the purity of heart that's happening here and the freedom of expression of emotion. And I just thought to myself, you know, I need to be more free in my emotions. But you know, um, th there is a verse in Romans 12 that says this, it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so we, we, if, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we've got to develop an innocent enough heart and have wounds and different belief systems healed within us so that we can be free to express emotion. But, but here it even is saying that those emotions and the capacity to empathize with others, uh, you know, my emotions need to be in context, if I've just had the greatest day of my life and, and, and I'm ready just to jump up and down and cheer like Jesus was, but I come into contact with someone, I say, hey, how was your day? And they say, it was horrible. You know, I got fired from my job and, um, and, and you know, several bad things happened. What I have to do is shift into a, a, a gear of identifying what, what they're going through. And so just this freedom of emotion doesn't mean that it's all about me. It's freedom of emotion within the context of me being focused on others and, and people around me. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, a, um, a, a verse that um, I was going to get to later, but I'll do it right now. Uh, Proverbs 27, 14. Proverbs 27, 14 says this. A loud and cheerful greeting too early in the morning will be counted as a curse. <laughs> Yeah, you can identify, can't you? Yeah. 
man, have you ever had that? You're, you're barely out of bed. You're not awake. You des- you're shuffling, you know, to find a cup of coffee somewhere. And then someone comes in, hi, how are you? One is a beautiful morning. And, and it's just, it's out of context. And so it's, it's yeah. It's not just me being free to share whatever emotion I want to anytime I want to. It is me being free to share the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time and just being, being sensitive to others around me. But um, Luke talked about this. God, God created us with emotions and the capacity to experience emotions. As I said, Wilson took it a step uh, further, talked about how crucial they are for completing our mission on earth. And here's a statement I want to make. I want you to get this. Okay, this statement. This means that to, be more, to more fully represent God to the world, we have to be in touch with our emotions and express them in a healthy way. Because God's emotional. Jesus was emotional. And so I have to be in touch with my emotions and, and learn how to grow. We're all on a growth track. I don't know if, that any of us will get there before we die, but uh, we're all moving that direction of growing and, and developing just a healthier uh, view of our emotions and how they, um, it, how they impact our lives and the lives of others. So emotions are at the core of relationships. They enable us to empathize with others. Without emotions, we can't have relationships with other people or without, with, with God for that matter. So another statement I want to make and I want you to get is this. Being emotional is a great and wonderful gift from God, which we are to steward and use for His glory and our happiness. Okay, use for His glory, and He also intends it. As we use it for His glory, it's going to rebound to our happiness because we're doing what we were created to do. You know, Jesus at one point said this. He said, if you do these things, you'll be happy. Actually, he said it reversed. It's happy are you if you do these things. And so as I walk in the design that God has for me and I'm growing in that design, it brings joy into my life. But to recognize, has anybody here ever, like me, thought, why am I so emotional? Anybody? Man, alive. I've had times where somebody's been mad at me or maybe I've been... Uh, you know, thought I had to talk to somebody about something and I'm lying awake at night and I'm just all in turmoil and I'm thinking, why do I, I just wish I didn't have any emotions at all. You ever thought that? Okay, so uh, emotions are a gift from God. Okay, let's banish that thought. I repent of having said that, okay? In Jesus' name before you right now, I repent of that. And if you've ever said anything like that, I encourage you right now to say this with me. I repent at having what uh, devalued my emotions. Say that with me. I repent at having devalued my emotions. So let me uh, try to define emotions for you. In my reading this week, I did see that there's, a, there's disagreement among uh, the experts on what emotions actually are. Pretty tough to define, isn't it? Because it's such an ethereal thing. I mean, we all know what they are when we experience them, but here's the definition I came up with, and I I took this from some other people's writings, obviously. But uh, emotions are an instinctive, I got that word uh, from one article, they are an instinctive state of mind and feeling. And how do you define feeling? That's the question. But they they are instinctive, and they are a result of neurophysiological responses to your life situation. 
It's a big word, neurophysiological. What that means is your brain and your body. Your brain, your heart emits different hormones and chemicals and other glands in your body uh, release these things when you encounter a certain situation and it's all based on your perception of what's happening. So an event happens. Like last, last Friday, I was driving back from Kentucky and um, I went down there to see another pastor and I looked down on my pant leg was a spider what sat down in the car. No, it was a small spider, so I had a small amount of anxiety. If it had been a big spider, I would have had a big amount of anxiety. But I didn't sit there, I didn't think, oh, that's just a small spider. Should I have a lot of anxiety or just a little? I didn't, no, I, I, it was instinctive, my response. However, then I thought, well, I can kill it. I tried to crush it between my thumb and forefinger and they had a hard shell. Have you ever seen a spider? There are spiders that have shells. And, and I didn't kill it, and it fell off my leg onto the floor. So I pulled over, and I searched the car. <laughs> I did not want to have to drive all the way back up here with a spider under my front seat. It's going to crawl up my pant leg. So, <laughs> so what I did was I, I just tucked my pants into my socks. Emotions are instinctive. You don't get to choose the emotion. It, well, we, it, it's, just, it's based upon other things, but we don't, at, at the moment, you don't choose the emotion. All right, neurophysiological responses. That means, as I said already, your brain, your heart, other glands release chemicals in your body that create uh, emotions. And the third thing is this, based on your perception of what's happening. My perception was that that spider was dangerous, although it wasn't as dangerous as if it had been bigger. Now, there were times, there have been moments, I have this thing with spiders, okay? There, were, there have been moments where I've been sitting and reading, and there's a ball of, uh, a little ball of yarn or something off outside my range of vision, and then I go like this, and the corner of my eye catches it, and it looks like a spider, and it looks like a big spider. In that, in that case, I jump out of my chair. I don't think, okay, I need to do something dramatic right now because this is a big spider. It's just, it just all happens. And so we need to understand that, that emotions happen based upon, see, my perception was it was a big spider when really it was just a little ball of thread. And so it was my perception that controlled my reaction and my emotions. And so we need to understand that because, um, if we're going to understand, you know, how our bodies work and understand emotions, we need to understand that part of it. Now, a lot of emotions are just great. Just embrace them, go with them, and enjoy it. Like love or um, compassion or peace or joy or contentment or thankfulness. These are all just, you don't have, I don't have to figure out why do I feel happy right now? Or why do I feel love? Or why do I feel joy? It's just a good emotion. I'm just going to run with it. It's, 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 it's a blessing. It's, it's pleasant. And um, other emotions, however, some of them aren't as pleasant. They don't strike me quite the same way that feeling joy does. Like um, emotions like anger or fear or grief, sadness, guilt, confusion, anxiety, they aren't pleasant, are they? I mean, anybody here enjoy being anxious? No, I don't think so. 
Um, if anybody put their hand up, then I'd say, we got to talk after the service, okay? <laughs> but um, the truth is, because emotions are based upon our perception, we can look at these emotions and we can at times ask, what's, you know, what's behind that? Why do, I, why do I feel afraid right now? Or why do I feel anxious? Now, actually, two different things can happen. One, they, these, these emotions, while they're not totally pleasant, they can really be our friends because they're kind of like warning lights on your dashboard at times. Have you ever been driving, pulling out of the driveway, and you think, ah, some, some, I, left, I forgot something. I forgot something. What was it? What was it? I'm going to go back in the house and check. And you go in and you see that the burner's on on the stove. Okay, so somehow your subconscious mind registered all of that and produced the emotion of anxiety, which was at the, that moment your good friend. And you go back and you find out, okay, well, yeah, there, I needed to correct that. Now, at other times... Um, at other times, like if anxiety is what you live with every single day, or there are certain situations where it doesn't make any sense, but you always feel anxious in those situations, then that, that's, that's the type of an emotion that then I need to ask myself, well, what, what is it that I'm believing about that event that, or, or that season of life or whatever it might be that causes anxiety within me? But the sadness, Wilson talked about this last week and gave a great illustration of it, but I want to touch on this again. Uh, you're sad and you don't know why. And so you conclude that you're depressed, and then you really get depressed because you've concluded that you're depressed, and you get depressed over being depressed. Does that make sense? Okay, so it, it, the sadness, as you examine it, as Wilson shared last week, you really figure out, you know, the kids have kept me up three nights in a row. And I've been working really hard prior to that. I actually needed a rest three days ago. And not only did I not get the rest I needed, I've lost three nights of sleep. So, of course, I feel down. So, so then you, you're able to define it. You're able to say, well, I'm just tired. I'm wiped out. I'm not really sad so much as I am. I'm, I'm just low right now. And what I need to do is maybe sit in the backyard and read a book or take a nap or go for a walk in the woods. But you're able to identify uh, you know, what's at, at the root of it. Now, another one of these emotions that um, doesn't always feel good is anger. And anger can be a great friend to our lives if we respond to it appropriately. Anger can motivate us to do something that we would not do if we weren't angry. I, Lori and I have been married 45 years, and... Um, I want to tell you, any of you who've been married less than that, it just gets better and better over time. But you really do have to work at it. And I would say probably some of the greatest strides we've made was when one of us were angry. And, well, no, I'm, we're going to talk about this. And so anger can motivate you to deal with a situation or a problem that you would want to just sweep under the rug other times. And so you have something happen, and you just sweep it under the rug. Similar thing happens again with the same person. You sweep it under the rug. Another time you sweep it under the rug. And then all of a sudden you explode because you've been sleep, sweeping, 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 and then bang. And so what anger will do is it will motivate you to say, I, you know, I'm really not thinking about the consequences or the difficulty of this right now. We got to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to take care of it. 
Now, that doesn't mean you attack the other person, not that at all, but you are willing to attack the problem because you have this anger that comes up in you. So that's, that's the good part of anger. And, and, well, that's why Luke read that verse that said, don't let anger linger overnight. He gave us a good explanation of that. And really, the, the effect of that is, uh, be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, meaning don't let anger linger. Because if anger lingers, it becomes something else. What happens when anger lingers is that it becomes bitterness. And, and, and bitterness is a different type of emotion. We're going to get to in, in just a moment here. But this, this is important. When, when, we, when we are angry to understand something of the root of it, I, you know, this is just something I read. I, I think it's true. This author said that we become angry when someone or something blocks a goal blocks us from achieving a goal or blocks us from walking in a value that we hold uh, very, very dearly, something that we desire. Like, it could be, I want everyone to respect me. And someone does something very slightly disrespectful, but because, you know, I have this belief system that this is the most important thing in the world, I overreact to that. And so that, that could be what's, what's beneath anger. It could be, you know, I want to be carefree and happy all the time, and you're laying this work on me right now. You're asking me if I did what I was supposed to do, and I don't want to deal with that right now. Uh, there, there are many different things, but um, whatever the goal is, the goal could be a good goal. And if, and if it is a good goal, then that's great. But think about this. Think about being in traffic you know, traffic is uh, a real source of anger in our culture today. They call it road rage. And so I'm trying to get somewhere on time, and uh, someone pulls out in front of me, and they're driving slow. And here, I'd, I'd be going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit if they were not driving 5 or 10 miles beneath it, under it, and I'm going to be late. And then that can make me angry. Now, what's at the root of that? Well, it could be that I'm always late. And therefore, this time being late, I have the opportunity to blame it on someone else instead of recognizing, you know, that I should have left 10 minutes earlier. Could be that. It could be that um, what I've been taught or what I've seen modeled in life is that being late is the worst thing in the world. And so I've interpreted that as anybody that's late is nothing but a lazy slug. They are not worth any more than a pimple on a dog's butt. And, you know, and, and so I've concluded all of that already in my mind. That's my underlying belief system. And so th they are blocking me from achieving my goal of being on time, which makes me then a pimple on a dog's butt according to my own thinking and decisions that I've made in the past. Now, again, I'm not deciding to be angry at that moment. It's an instinctive response. But um, maybe, maybe it's just genetics. I'm the kind of person who's wired to be precise. Okay, I am the kind of person who is wired to be precise, and everybody should be like me. And, and nobody, you know, 
If, you, if you're like me, then you're okay. If you're not like me, then you're a little bit deficient. Something wrong with you there. It could be heart wounds. You know, maybe I was late for school once, and, um, and the teacher uh, shamed me or ridiculed me in front of the class, and they called me tardy boy until I graduated. You know, so, something like that, you know. You know, honestly, I, I'll never forget this. In first grade, we were learning to count, and I would always skip the number 17. So the teacher made me stand up in front of the class with the whole class looking at me, and they were supposed to go like this, one, two, three, and when they got to 17, they were all supposed to shout it at me as loud as they could. Oh, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I think I'm over it, okay? I think I am, maybe not, maybe not, I think I am. But I appreciate the sympathy there. See, your ability to empathize. That's related. Now we're friends. But, um, you know, maybe, maybe I was shamed. And so anytime I think of being late, you know, I, I feel some sense of shame around that. But there can be many different things that, um, that, uh, that, that impact. It's like the teaching or genetic makeup. You know, the problem with this is this. Jesus was intentionally late, let's say, to visit Lazarus in the hospital before he died. He had time to get there, and he didn't. He was late for that. And you read about Jesus, it doesn't seem like he's saying, Peter, come on, man, hurry up. You, you, you see him challenging them as to what they believe, and, and sometimes how they're acting, but not like, man, we're due in Nazareth in 15 minutes, get a move on. Um, this made me think of the first trip I took to Guatemala. There were a group of us, uh, Ray Strecker, who was here a few weeks ago, Dave Workman, who spoke at our banquet, another pastor and myself. First day there, we're due at, at this person's house in another town that's an hour away. Do that. We're due there at six o'clock. Okay, we leave the house we're at at five thirty, and we have to stop at the bank on the way. So we stop at the bank. Ten minutes to get to the bank, and, and it ends up that the bank manager is brother to the person leading the trip, and so in that culture, he has to bring his his uh, cousin. It was a cousin, cousin out and meet us all, and then out of respect, we have to stand in the parking lot and talk for twenty minutes. And so we didn't actually leave town until we were at the time that we were due to be there an hour away. And I remember uh, Workman and I were sitting in the back, and we both agreed, this is probably a lot more how Jesus lived than how we live in our culture. The relationships trumped everything. And, and the, the connection with other people, and, and I'm not saying we want to go to that extreme, but maybe we do need to... Um, to value relationships a little more. But heart wounding, um, sometimes you'll feel anxiety or anger and you don't really know why. I just feel really anxious when I'm held up. I think I you know, might be late. or And th those are probably more due to like some heart wounding, that it just happens and I can't arrive at any belief system other than maybe something that arises out of the wound that I had. Now, I want to take this a step further and say this, that anger can catalyze other problems in my life. I referred to this earlier. Anger can become bitterness. And if it becomes bitterness, Hebrews says that 
bitterness, a bitter, bitter heart impacts many people. And so to realize that if I embrace bitterness because I've embraced anger, then that bitterness impacts all the people I love around me, and I, and I want to get freed from that. So I want to say this. Some emotions are simply pleasant and enjoyable. Other emotions that aren't always pleasant can be very helpful to us. They can be warning signals to us about things in our lives, and, um, and, and, and it causes us to look deeper in our own hearts. And that's how we grow. That's how we grow. So the emotion, the emotional response tells me I need to look at the belief system beneath that. And when I'm able to identify that, then I'm able to recognize that's not true. That's, that's a false belief system. And I'm going to replace that with truth. Now, a book that I think is fabulous in helping people to do this is called Victorious Emotions by Wendy Backlund. I read it three times. I'm about ready to start reading it again. It's that good. And um, now, there are some emotions, I'm just going to say, just, just like this, they have the potential just to eat your heart out. And there's no shame involved in this because it's not like at the moment you decided to become jealous or at the moment you decided to um, experience rage or worry or panic or whatever it might be, but, or bitterness. But there are some emotions that really can have a, a, an impact on us that, that, that we, we, wanna, we want to move away from those. But no, no need for shame. Again, I just want to say that because it's not like I thought, hmm, I don't like that so much. I don't like this person so much. I'm going to become bitter towards them. It doesn't happen that way at all. It's like the underlying belief systems are already there. And I didn't even necessarily choose those belief systems. I learned them in life and just picked them up in life. Maybe, maybe in some occasions I made a conscious choice, but most of the time it's, it's not my choice. It was just, you know, the way I was brought up or whatever. But still, in this case, if any of these actually have a grip on me, like I said, bitterness, jealousy, envy, hatred, rage, worry, panic, shame, fear, depression, if they have a grip on my life, then I probably need someone to help me. I probably need to find a brother or a sister in Christ that is mature, that I trust, that understands ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that they'll listen to me without judgment. They'll listen to me and with, without condemnation. And, and as they listen, we'll discern together, you know, what's the, what am I believing about this that's, that's causing this reaction on my part? And once you do that, if there are wounds there, uh, the person can pray for you and the Holy Spirit just floods into that place in your heart and your mind and you get healed of that wound and you get freed from the wound and then you're free to change the, the belief system that has kind of like wrapped itself around that wound. And uh, the belief, that, that's where Wendy's book would become very helpful. It is the uh, changing the belief system. But there's one, uh, one thing I want to talk about briefly, and then we're going to end, but that is shame. And shame, I think, in our culture today, the whole cancel culture thing, that's all, that's all shame-based. If you disagree with me, you don't have the right to speak. You, don't have, you, you are not worthy of the First Amendment. It's the First Amendment, isn't it? Freedom of speech, yeah. You're not worthy of that. You're not worthy of God, God-given freedom to speak what you think. 
And that's, that's also shame-based. But here's the thing about shame. Uh, guilt and shame are different. If you have never heard this before, guilt is this understanding and the accompanying emotion that I did something wrong. Shouldn't have done that. I did that and it was wrong. That's guilt. You take care of that by confessing it. Jesus died for it already. You can be forgiven and, and move on. But shame is this feeling that there's something wrong with me. You know, back to the timeliness. I'm late all the time, let's say, all the time. And, and, I, and, and so I'm late for this important meeting and, and I pay a price for that. And I'm thinking, oh man, what a loser. Why can't I be on time? What is wrong with me? Why can't I ever be on time? And, and so shame is this sense that I am defective. And the problem with that is that it colors everything we see in life. And what our brains tend to do is to find evidence to corroborate what we've already concluded is true. So if I've concluded that I'm a loser or that I'm less than or that I'm not as smart as or that I don't have the right to like everybody else does or whatever it might be, if I've already concluded that, then I'm going to see evidence to support that because that's what our brains do. And again, that's not your fault or anybody's fault. It's just how our brains work. I, I had a time where I had a guy that was working for me at the Champagne Vineyard. He, he reported to me, and he worked with some small group leaders. And there was a rift between him and one of the small group leaders. And so I knew this guy, and I knew his heart, the, the staff member. But I got the two of them together, and they're sitting across the table from each other. And so I'm, I'm going to call them Bob and Steve, okay? So if you're named Steve or Bob, no offense. But uh, Bob is the staff member, and I said, um, I know you guys are having some struggles. I just want to say, let's just start off, Bob. Why don't you tell Steve how you view him and what you think of him? Here's what he said. He said, Steve, I think you are a fine young man. I think you are a good husband and a good father, and you love the Lord. And you are faithful in serving God. And you have been faithful in serving God. And the other day, I was just trying to help you see one thing that I thought you needed to grow in. Okay, Steve, what, do you, what did you, I, I saw a scowl on Steve's face. And I said, so Steve, what did you just hear? He looked at me and he said, well, he basically told me I'm nothing but a worthless slug. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. That was it. And I, what? What? Man, I got to tell you, that's not what I heard him say. Uh, Bob, would you say again what you said? And Steve, I really want you to listen now to these words. And it took a while, but finally the message got through. And the, the issue there was, for some reason, this guy had it in his heart that, that he was interpreting things that came from Bob to mean that he was worthless when they weren't given that way. And, and yeah, I look at that now and I think, well, Bob needed to do a better job of communicating, okay? Uh, that, that I would always say to the leader, all right, it's your job to communicate. You didn't communicate fully effectively. I understand it's hard and everything, but eventually we got through that. But there was shame in, in the one guy's heart, and that caused him to interpret what had been said totally wrongly from, from what the intent was or what it was meant. And so any of us that, that deal with that, feeling less than, um, th there, are, there are biblical truths 
that we just need to camp on. We just need to camp on this. God is good. He is good. God loves you. He loves you. He is good and he loves you. And he's, he is involved in your life. And he doesn't see you as defective or as a loser. That's not what, that's not what he calls you. You know what he calls you? He calls you son, daughter. He says, you're in my son Jesus now. You are a new person. And do you know what that means to be in Christ? What that means is that I could look at my natural history and I could say, well, it goes back to this event and that event and that place. What the Bible means by that is your history no longer goes back to that time of abuse. Your history no longer tracks back to that time of failure. Your history tracks back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And then everything in Jesus up to that point is yours. That's your track of history now. You're in Christ. You're set free from all those other things. And to, to know that is, um, is wonderful. To begin to experience it is life-changing. And invitation is to begin to experience it more. You, you don't have to fix everything at once. It's not a matter of just suddenly everything is great. It is a matter of, God, what's my next step with you? You know, you know I've got this wrong belief system I've identified, or I have this, this emotional issue, and I don't know what the belief system behind it is, or the wound that's there. In that case, then I encourage you to call the office, see if we can set up a prayer time. Someone can set up a prayer time with you. We have people that will pray like that. But uh, for right now, I want us all to stand. And I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down to the front right now. If you're on the prayer team today, please make your way down here. But Bible says this in Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted. Okay, say that with me. He heals the brokenhearted. And uh, another verse I want to read to you that I didn't get to. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. Listen to this. You formed my inward parts. He's speaking to God. You wove me together in my mother's womb. And then the translations, most of them say, I am fearfully and wonderfully designed. But that word fearfully, one of the translations of it is awesome. And so I'm going to say this. I am awesomely and wonderfully designed. Okay, that means you are awesomely and wonderfully designed. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are awesome. You are wonderful. And you are designed by God.